The Dudes of Kung Fu podcast is brought to you by Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. In celebration of their newly launched WCI newsstand platform, Wing Chun Illustrated is giving listeners of the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast a free one-month all-access subscription. Go to wcinewsstand.com and click the register button in the upper right corner. Use voucher code FREE4U. That's F-R-E-E, the number four, and the letter U, all caps. Don't forget to activate your account by clicking the link in the welcome message. The Dudes of Kung Fu love Wing Chun Illustrated Magazine. Dudes of Kung Fu. Please welcome your hosts, Alex Richter and Big Sean Madigan. Hello, my brother. How are you? Doing well, man. How are you? How's everything? I'm yeah, I'm doing pretty good. It was uh, it was a pretty good week, I guess. And um, it's Friday, and the weekend is upon us. I have my guitar lesson tomorrow. Awesome. I can sleep. I can sleep late. It's my son John's birthday. It's uh, hopefully going to be a nice, good weekend. That's great. So when you're learning guitar, like, how do you approach that? Like, obviously, are you still taking lessons from a teacher, or are you at like the I can teach myself? Like, you know enough now where you can start figuring out yourself, or how does that work? Well, I do know enough that I can figure some things out, mm-hmm. but I still have a guitar Sifu who has no idea why I call him Sifu, and <laughs> and he's this great young kid who is uh, in his early twenties, and he's he's a phenomenal guitar player, an excellent teacher, and um, it's great. As a matter of fact, much like you had a a, a a theory class later on, we're going to speak about that. I I take a lot of we hold a lot of theory classes with guitar. I enjoy musical theory theory music theory right so like learning like what makes up a chord and what you know why things sound good together and why things certain things don't sound good together and i i enjoy that whole mental aspect of the game as opposed to just learning how to play layla on the guitar you know got it so so that's why i i enjoy having a teacher and um you know i i really we go about it like much like you would with kung fu it's like uh he you know he comes here and he has a lesson plan and you know, like Kung Fu, you have a lesson plan. He throws the first punch, and a plane goes at the window. That often <laughs> happens with that often happens with the guitar. You strum your first chord, and he goes, "Hey, you know that reminds me of something." But um, and you know, we have a usually do an hour lesson, and then he gives me homework to practice on all week. Got it. And uh, you know, it's really it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, I've always wanted to take up a musical instrument. I think you know maybe at some point I'll do that. It's always like. You know, kind of like bucket list stuff, right? There's different things you want to learn. Mm-hmm. There's different things you want to go into. It always kind of bugged me that, like, in, you know, my whole life I was so singularly focused on martial arts. I never developed any uh, kind of musical talent. So I, I also think guitar might be something I would be interested in. Well, I got to tell you, I mean, I've used this, said this phrase before, but it's been life-changing for me. I mean, on a level that very few people can understand. Martial artists, you listen to this podcast, will get it. Because as much as, if you're listening to this podcast, martial arts, martial arts have had probably a life-changing experience on you. You probably have a martial arts book collection and you have martial arts equipment and t-shirts and, and you think about martial arts all day. Well, other than my family, martial arts was my only passion like that in my life. And I never thought I would have a passion like I have for martial arts for anything else and now that I've picked up guitar like 
it rivals my passion for martial arts. Wow. And I think about it all the time. I, I think about how I can get better and, and, and try and understand it on a level that I've always spent with martial arts. And uh, it's life-changing. Like, I never realized how life-changing it would be for me. And I'm so happy I, I did it. That's amazing. I think um, especially for martial artists who are, like, really into martial arts. So not just talking about people who, you know, go to, go to a class and, you know, a couple times a week. Like, people who just kind of do it as a, as a side thing. But, like, people who are, like, really into it. People who have been doing it for many years or they do it professionally or it's, like, a huge passion. I always think it's a good idea to kind of also have an outside hobby that's not directly related to martial arts because there's so much you learn about how you learn something new about you know how you can enjoy something about how to look at stuff which you can look through the lens of your martial arts training to be able to apply it to learning that other thing but also sometimes learning that other thing like if you're for example learning guitar and you're learning it from a guitar teacher who has no idea about how martial arts are taught you might actually find that there's so many things about how that person presents the information that you might say you know this might be a great idea to look at martial arts this way but oftentimes martial arts are presented with a lot of ego and a lot of machismo and a lot of like you know kind of chest thumping or whatever that you know if it could be taught more the same way any proper subject is taught i think that the people who do it would actually be a lot better served and would enjoy it a lot more one of my favorite experiences with learning music i can literally i I remember the moment um in in learning from steve golden jkd one of the things that steve golden would say a lot is that in movement in combat in fighting oftentimes it's what happens the space that in between the techniques is more important than the techniques themselves this idea of when to pause when to hurry movement based on time it's it's oftentimes what's happening during on the, the time that things are not happening the not the major things are not happening that determines how well you're going to do right you know this idea of like you know a, a, a punch comes in and you, the timing of your slip that and you're changing the angle where quote unquote nothing's happening but you're doing a lot or this idea of when you pause for a quick second wait for your opponent to react and deal with that reaction that little pause that that it's got to be on the moment if you wait too long you're going to get popped in the face you you go too fast and and your and your and your pause doesn't work in the way you want it to work right and he would always say to me Sean it's the it's the, it's the it's the time in between blows that's m- most important understand that and then and I would always say yeah I got you know I get it and I, and I started training with my my guitar teacher and one day he just kind of said to me offhandedly you know Sean it's when you play in the blues it's really the time in between the notes that's most important wow you want to Build the tension and hold it just the right amount of time before you release the tension. It's that little space in between the notes. Hold it too long and you'll lose the audience. Play too quick and you didn't build the tension you were looking to build. You gotta have 
get that sweet spot. And I was like, oh my God, this is like exactly like martial arts, you know what I mean? <laughs> and we start talking about rhythm and, and timing and things like that. Right. And, it was, and it really, it was just, you know, it was, uh, it was enlightening for me. It really was, um, and, and I see a lot of crossover between uh, martial arts and music and, you know, and, um, and in case anybody gives a shit, I don't know why you would, but I, I could tell you the exact moment, the exact song off the exact album that made me decide I wanted to learn how to play guitar. So everybody should pause this and listen to the song Hey Hey by Eric Clapton from the Unplugged album. That is the song where I sat in my car and said, I wonder if I can learn how to play that on guitar. How hard it would be. <laughs> Turns out it's pretty fucking hard. But <laughs> Starting right at, uh, like, like in the movie 36 Chamber, he wants to start at the hardest chamber right away until <laughs> exactly. the blows him away without using his hands. Like, okay, I'll start at the bottom. <laughs> right. Well, I, you know, it's funny because my ego still gets in the way sometimes. And um, I like I can play the song Layla by Clapton, but I still can't play the, the solo that Eric Clapton plays. Mm. And I was getting very frustrated. This was only a couple weeks ago. And I was so frustrated. And we were trying to go over it, and I was just fucking it up left and right. And, and my, my teacher was like, he said to me, he's like, all right, Sean, you're playing guitar for a couple of years. You're going to be upset that you can't match the solo of the great, one of the great, arguably one of the greatest guitar players to ever live like right. like you know what i mean like, he's on the mount rushmore like, of guitar players right he's on the mount rushmore of guitar players and you're upset that you can't match his solo after a couple of years right you know like, let's give ourselves a little bit of a break and I, and, I, and of course once he said that to me i immediately thought of all the people who do jikudo do and try to match bruce lee's movements right and realize that they can't and i've told a hundred of them hundreds of them that if you can't do what Bruce Lee can do understand why Bruce Lee was doing certain things and make make the necessary adjustments and 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 I and I have to apply it to my guitar playing right do you know what I mean like I have to make the necessary adjustments and you know fake it till I can make it you know yeah. it's and that's um but dude I strongly strongly recommend you 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 go for it and, 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 you know, pretty soon you'll be, you'll be rapping to Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> you mean my doppelganger, Lin-Manuel Miranda? <laughs> Dude, you look, and I, 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 I've said this before, it's more than just look like Lin, more than just look like Lin-Manuel Miranda. It, it, when you hear him speak and he, you know, you're an intelligent guy, he's an intelligent guy. Um, you do look alike. But there's a, there's a confidence in in in, a, in the way he speaks and the way he holds himself and the way he acts and his mannerisms and that he reminds me of you in, in a lot of ways and I mean that 100% as a compliment and Lord knows I don't want to freaking compliment you if I don't have to. <laughs> well, it's interesting because you yeah. mentioned that today before the podcast and the funny thing is that two other people have previously told me the same thing like yeah not just like uh, physical looks but also like some kind of like feeling or something that's similar to him and you know i mean obviously he's he's puerto rican i'm half cuban we we grew up in very kind of some very similar backgrounds i think you cannot have a spanish-speaking mom and not be tuned a certain way right 
um, yeah, it's it's funny funny that you said that. Also, like to go back to what you said about the space in between. You know, it's it's not just it's it's the same thing. Like obviously with Wing Chun with martial arts, but even just in speaking. Like for example, and obviously this is not to get political. I don't care if you're if you like him or not. But it's also one of the reasons, for example, that Barack Obama was so good at speeches because of his pauses. Because, Correct. you know, when he would talk and then there would be this very deliberate pause where you actually let the weight of the words that were just spoken sit on the crowd rather than just running it over with the next line, and the next sentence. So this kind of the the space in between, I think, is maybe one of the one of these algorithms of the universe that kind of, you know, pushes one over to mastery, whether you're talking about martial arts or you're talking about. Uh, you know, oratory skills, speaking, or you're talking about obviously music, right? The space in between, right? Right. Well, I have a buddy of mine who does stand-up comedy, and he has to take a conscious pause to let people laugh. Yes. To let what he said sink in enough for people to even get the reference that he was making, because sometimes a comedian's references may be obscure or based on something he said five minutes ago, and he has to let the people make the connection in their head. Right. And while you're standing on the stage, it may take you, in what may seem like a forever moment, the people's minds are occupied. Yes. You know, and they, you know, you have to kind of wait for the payoff. And all this comes back to martial arts. At least, in, I, I can say it, all of this comes back in the way I do martial arts and, and Jeet Kune Do as I learned it, in that all of our, all of our movements should be for a purpose and one of those purpose and one of the primary purposes should be to manipulate our opponent and if my I don't want my movement to be dictated on what you do I don't want you to control my movement I rather would want my goal is your movement is predicated on what I do now what I do may be based on who you are as a person but I have to understand, and I have to understand it very quickly, who you are as a person, as a fighter, and what's the best way to use my movement, pressure, release of pressure, change of angles, to create and manipulate your movements. Right. And I have to give you time to react. I can't... Do so people think that speed is the primary attribute when it comes to fighting. And while speed is of prime importance, it is not, in my opinion, the prime attribute when it comes to fighting. Timing is more important than speed. Right. So timing is knowing the right time to start an action to reach the de desired conclusion, right? In dealing with uh, two, two or more things moving around. If everything was just about speed, if I threw the quickest fake I could throw and followed it up with a back fist, and you, I didn't leave enough time for you to bite on my back fist, my on my fake, then I then I didn't serve it. It didn't serve its purpose. Right. You know what I mean? Like Steve, like I remember Steve Golden telling me, Sean, I, you should never telegraph unless you want to. Right, like he says, JKD people love to say never telegraph, never telegraph. You should telegraph whenever you want to, 
And after you telegraph, you have to give them the space, the time to make that mistake, to establish their undoing. You have to learn. That's where the skill comes in with, 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 within Jeet Kune Do, is understanding the time that it takes for people to do things. Right. And, 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 and to bite on things. And, like, you know, you can't just be the fastest you can be. You have to be the best timed you can be. You have to move with timing. You have to understand how to fit in with the movements of your opponent rather than just move as fast as you can possibly sure. move. You know, there's this idea of, like, people say, I got to get faster, I got to get faster, I got to get faster. And all of that's fine. You have to get fast. You want to be able to have fast hands. You want to be able to throw that fast jab. But it's more important. I have a, you know, listen, I'm like the size of a fucking house. I can't move fast. But I guarantee I'll hit you in the face. You know, and, and because I know how to move in a way that at least it's timed right. I'll get one good shot and then you'll kick my ass. <laughs> but you'll know you're in a fight because I've, I've come to learn timing. I've come to learn, I've come to understand how my body moves, how others react to it, and I, how much time I need to give others to, relax, to react in a way that I can manipulate them. You know, like one of my um, favorite things that Steve does at a seminar is, and it's cheating, but he does it to make a point. <laughs> he'll say, oh, Alex, come up here. And he'll call you up to the, up to the center. And he'll say, oh, listen, let's just move around for a quick second. And um, no matter what I do, if I get close enough to hit you, I want you to pop me in the head. Okay. And he'll square up with you, and then you'll square up. And then he'll relax and say... Oh, and then like, look at your shoulder and walk in and pick up his hand and start pointing at your shoulder. And then when he gets close enough, he'll just tap you in the head. And because you won't hit him. Right. Because he changed the dynamic. Yeah. He made you feel, oh, wait, no, the drill is over. We're done. He's going to fix something before. Meanwhile, he just told you, the second I get close enough to you, I want you to hit me. He now he says now he'll he'll say like it's almost cheating it's like almost like unfair because right. in the street that wouldn't happen, but it also kind of does. Yes. That you just have to figure out what changes the dynamic in the street, as opposed he gave you something in the school that works as as a lesson for you to try and find the dynamic that'll work in the street and it's there. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen a thousand times. Right. Guy, guys say, oh, no, no, relax. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah, they drop, they drop their hands as if like, all right, man, we don't need to do this kind of thing. And they kind of right. relax and then, bof, comes that punch out of nowhere. Right. You have to find, so it's, it's but if you, you can't rush through that. Right. You have to find the right speed. You know, um, Steve once told me that you have to learn to make the quickest, the quickest cup of coffee you can make. And to make the really quick cup of hot coffee, you have to go slow. Because if you go too fast, you're going to just burn yourself. Right. You have to understand what's the right speed to make a hot cup of coffee. You know, there's this idea of, you know, timing is always relative to everything that's moving around. And it all, and it all bases itself on not just the movements. 
it bases itself on the spaces in between movements. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so damn important. Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, like, obviously, one of my pet peeves about Wing Chun is because it's a style that's known for, you know, being very fast, being very ballistic. And when you go on Instagram and you see all these people who are supposed, you know, these, these Wing Chun influencers, half of which I've never even heard before, with a bajillion followers. And what you see is, like, they're doing everything really fast and they're doing lots of, like, almost spastic looking combos but oftentimes the partner they're doing with is is not really fighting back or it's kind of pre-planned or whatever and then but people watch this especially newbies to wing chun and they think like oh i just need to do like what is wing chun doing a bunch of stuff really fast and it's kind of like well and i have this problem too in my own school because sometimes my students come they look at this stuff online and they like rush in with a bunch of chain punches from way too far away and i just put my hand out and they literally walk right into my hand and it's like your punches and your step was too fast all like you didn't actually go in and create a bridge and stick by the time my hand was there your hand was already gone and i punched you because you needed to leave it out there for a moment to make contact so essentially you were too fast which meant that the timing wasn't right and it takes a certain amount of maturity to be confident to have those spaces in between to have those pauses like in a barack obama speech when you're when he's speaking right you need to like feel very confident in your subject matter matter to like you know say something and be like i'm gonna pause here and let the audience feel that right you have to feel confident enough that what you said is worthy of that pause you know what i mean and the same thing the same thing in martial arts right like the idea that you can kind of change rhythms if we're talking about a kickboxing paradigm or that you can you know switch up the way you do things and not just rush in and do a bunch of really fast chain punches that actually takes a fair amount of maturity to be able to recognize the time in between and to allow it to happen with the confidence that that's okay and a necessary part of the process. Like, I'll tell you, one of my pet peeves about myself is when I listen to our podcast, especially the older episodes. I'm a little bit better at it now, but I get those, you know, um, uh, you know, uh, especially when like I'm talking and I'm explaining something, I'll go like, um, uh, 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 uh. and you know what that is? That is my discomfort allowing there to be silence for a moment it's like an inherent like when we're speaking we want to come off intelligently we want to like make sure that all of our points hit home and when there are these momentary gaps where we're in between the current idea and the next idea we sometimes don't feel comfortable with that so we fill it with um uh uh, uh all these little you know like uh uh uh, uh and I don't notice it when we record the podcasts, but sometimes when I listen to the old ones, I go like, my God, who wants to listen to this guy? He doesn't stop like ah, 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 like stammering over his own words. So I'm trying to improve that and be more comfortable with those spaces in between. You know, it, interesting. I've just listened to the AMA that I recorded. We just released it, what, last week, the Ask Me Anything episode. And I made the dumbest mistake in there. A number of times I called it an MMA. <laughs> I go like, I'm so happy here to be doing this MMA, right? Which just gives you the idea of how often I talk about MMA. It's, but I was like, I was listening to it and I was going, okay, well, that's a better mistake than if I call MMA an AMA. 
Like I love right, I love watching the AMA. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> so it's like I, I I suppose that's a more acceptable flub to make, but it's the same thing. I think that you know with like Eric Clapton, with a Bruce Lee, with a Steve Golden, with people who are very high level at anything, you can be comfortable with those momentary pauses, those momentary lapses, and see that as a necessary part of the process to create something that is. Uh, superior to what the average people are doing like for me the Wing Chun equivalent of uh 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 is just throwing a bunch of chain punches and hoping for the best right that's kind of the the, for me it's the same thing right and I think that you know we need to to develop our techniques and our skills and our concepts much better that we can have those moments where we can breathe right and for, for me and with JKD it's this idea of like movement, unnecessary movement. So whereas when we talk about like uh, speaking on a podcast, we don't want to have the uhs and hams and in between our topics. <clears throat> With movement, you don't want to have unnecessary movement in between intended movements. That we have intended movements and each movement should have a purpose. Everything, you know, one of Steve Golden's favorite expressions to me always was move with a purpose. And that wasn't an original expression of his. It was something that he said, Bruce Lee always said to him, Steve, move with a purpose. You have, each movement should have a reason for that movement. Right. At any given time, it could be, why did you do that? And you should have an answer. I did this because of this. And when I would spar... And I'd be moving around with people on the deck and Steve's watching. And Steve would stop me and say, okay, Sean, you just did this. Why did you do that? And I would say, um, I don't know. Oh, so you just want to waste energy? <laughs> and I'm like, well, no. I guess I was trying to get him to do that, this. And I would say something. I was trying to get him to do something. Oh, Okay. Well, what did he do prior to that that would lead you to believe that that is something that would work on him? Oh, well, nothing. Oh, so you were just going to try it, and if it didn't work, you were going to get punched in the face? Was that the plan? (laughs) It's all a progression in movement. So movement is all about an understanding of our opponents what's the right word propensities uh, like something they, tendencies what, what they tendencies what they plan on what they plan on doing but don't understand that they're going to do that mm-hmm. it's is oftentimes you can read a guy as to what he is going to do and understand how he's going to react to your movements and once you have that down and realize I say that and when you first start out that's a huge jump in understanding and takes you a long time to do but at once when once it clicks it's oftentimes you can do you can get a full understanding of a guy in a couple of seconds it's not like it's it literally is a couple of seconds before you you understand right quick how aggressive the guy is how he's going to hold his hands all this other stuff and once you understand this, then your movements are all based on 
your understanding of how to deal with that type of fighter. And you have to be, give yourself the time to manipulate that fighter. So even if it's taking a couple of steps back to create the distance, to create the ease in tension, the ease in, all right, I got to put myself in a position where he can't punch me and I can't punch him. And I'm going to put my hands up and beg off. Just to ease the tension, ease the pressure, and give the distance so that I now have enough time to employ my tactics and strategy. And I need to, like said, be like I said before, give your give your time, give the proper time to the pauses and to, to control what's going on. You can't just rush in. Right. Absolutely. So it's interesting. So this kind of uh, you know, which is funny because Sean and I usually before you know for our listeners out there, so you understand the very deep process by which we plan all of our dudes of kung fu episodes by <laughs> is basically you know sean and i we we do this um kind of over the phone and we record these on our respective computers to make sure that the audio quality is is top notch but basically we we talk for you know a few minutes before it's like all right what are we going to talk about and you know oftentimes we will uh scan the comments uh from dudes of kung fu on facebook or dudes of kung fu on instagram or, you know, obviously you guys send us messages sometimes and want us to talk about this, that, or the other thing. So, you know, oftentimes we'll have a whole slew of topics and sometimes there'll be less to discuss or we'll feel like, okay, maybe we already discussed these things. So sometimes we're, you know, left to our own devices for lack of a better, <laughs> which I don't know if it's a good thing or not. And we will often go like, okay, well, why don't we talk about this topic? And it just seems that sometimes when we come up with like, this X topic, whatever we're going to talk about, Sean and I get talking and we end up not talking about that topic at all. And it, it, it like, for example, it completely by coincidence, you know, I mentioned the whole thing about guitar and everything, which has brought <laughs> us to what I feel is a much richer conversation than what we had originally uh, planned on talking about this kind of the space in between and talking about, you know, how this relates obviously to music, to martial arts, very, very much from a Jeet Kune Do perspective about you know, being comfortable with these spaces in between, moving with intention, which might mean to intentionally cause breaks and pauses. And that's all like super high level stuff. And for me, it also works even on a much lower level. Uh, classic example, um, you know, for the longest time, uh, you know, with, like the wooden dummy techniques in Wing Chun were like, you know, considered the non plus ultra most advanced, you know, not everyone learned it. You're lucky to learn the whole set. And of course, over time, especially now with the internet and, and, you know, YouTube, you can go online and see pretty much anyone's wooden dummy form that you want to see. Like, there's no real secret in terms of getting a general idea of what the form looks like, you know, whereas in the 1960s, that was almost akin to pornography to actually be able to see the real thing. It was like, oh, wait, wait, the guy's doing the whole wooden dummy form. That's incredible. Like, he's not hiding this set. He's showing all these movements. <laughs> and even Grandmaster Yip Man was someone who did not want um his you know wooden dummy form to be shown openly the 1967 tang sung photographs and um video that was shot that day was supposed to be you know a secret just for tang sung to have and tang sung when he shot the both the video and the photographs everyone has seen those the famous black and white photographs of grandmaster yip man on the wooden dummy uh, those were shot on the same day as the kind of infamous or secretive video 
um, you know, Tang Sang made a bit of a mistake. He shot these photos of Grandmaster Yip Man performing the whole wooden dummy form, and then he went and he blew some of these photos up, and he, you know, framed them very nicely and put them on the wall of that very same room where Grandmaster Yip Man shot those photos. So, like, a week or two after Grandmaster Yip Man would have shot those black and white photos, if you went back to that very same space, you would actually see, like, some framed photos from that series on the wall. Well, Grandmaster Yip Man at that time, he uh, would come to that location that was a, a detective's club. Tang Sang uh, was a famous police detective, and he held a class for Grandmaster Yip Man at a detective's club, which is basically a boys' club for detectives to hang out after work and smoke cigarettes and play cards. And they had a little room there, which they had for Wing Chun practice with the wooden dummy where Grandmaster Yip Man shot those photos. And Grandmaster Yip Man would come every week, I believe it was on a Wednesday, and he would teach this small group of detectives privately. And because they were all, let's just say, somewhat corrupt detectives, they had a lot of money. So Grandmaster Yip Man would earn a fee for teaching them one time a week, which would be like way more than what he earned from all of the other teaching he had for the entire month. And he would get that weekly from these rich detectives, right? So that was kind of like a lot of money that he was earning. And so he liked them. Of course, he liked Tang Sang. They were te you know, he's giving him a lot of money. But apparently the story was when Grandmaster Yip Man came back to teach them at that detectives club, uh, presumably this would be a few weeks after those photos were shot. And he saw that Tang Sang had blown up the photos and put them on the wall because those were supposed to be for his private collection. He got really pissed off. And he was like, you know, how dare you put that on the wall? People are going to steal my techniques. They're going to see my wooden dummy for me. You need to take that down right now. And that is, and that is um, subsequently how the negatives of that photo series came into Leung Ting's possession. Because Grandmaster Yip Man was so mad at Tang Sang, he took the negatives and he said, you can have a copy of the photos, but you can no longer have the negatives because I don't trust that you're not going to make a copy of it. So he took the negatives back. And then later he asked, uh, he, he gave the set to Leung Ting. And that's why Leung Ting, when he published the, the book in the 80s, could give a free poster with the book, which was a full-size poster from that photo series because Leung Ting has the negatives. And so that's kind of how he ended up getting it and then why he was able uh, to later kind of print those things in larger format. But the interesting thing was when they released those photographs in the 1981, the gold cover, 116 Wooden Dummy Techniques book with Leung Ting and Yip Chun, that was like a huge thing because, oh my God, like you're, you're showing the wooden dummy form publicly, right? And up until that time, um, even Leung Ting's 1976 book, he only showed like a small portion of the wooden dummy form, but didn't show the whole thing. And now suddenly they're like, well, we got to show the whole thing. That was partially because uh, at that time, uh, Sifu Yipchun had a student who had stolen a set of the photographs in the late, oh in the late 70s and then published his own book using the Yip Man photos. But the problem was he put the photos like in the wrong order. <laughs> And so he published this book because he wanted to be the first person to publish the, you know, the so-called wooden dummy techniques. And, and he did it without Sifu Yip Chun's permission. And then the book came out and it was a huge embarrassment because uh, 
the, the photos were in the wrong order. And that was actually the reason why they had to publish <coughs> that uh, 1981 uh, gold book with uh, Sivu Yipchan cooperating with Sivu Leung Ting because Leung Ting had the negatives, whereas uh, Sivu Yipchan only had a copy of the photos. And so he wanted to cooperate to say, hey, well, if some chucklehead already put it out in a book and did it incorrectly, then we gotta we gotta set the record straight and do and put the or the form in the correct order for the public to see so that they're not duped by this other guy. And by the way, they actually make mention of that in the book. So that information I don't have like from here. So they actually write about that in the book quite uh, openly. So um, so that was the reason why they did it. And the funny thing was, a lot of people tried to teach themselves the wooden dummy from that book. And then uh, also Leung Ting later put the wooden dummy. Uh, uh, on a poster or something like that and what do you see from people who teach themselves the wooden dummy from a book they don't know the transitions in between transitions, the movements right. right so basically it's like you see the end position right which some would argue is not even the most important part of the wooden dummy it's how you get from a to b how you move right. in between and how how then you can transfer the power so the gag is by completely releasing the exact photo <laughs> series of the end positions of the wooden dummy form because that's what we're looking at we're not actually looking at the wooden dummy form as a movement we're looking at photos of the end positions actually the secret is still 100 percent safe because you know if you want to call it a secret because no one knows quite exactly how you move from here how does the stance shift how does the weight transfer how do you go in between this one and that one right and that is like the big secret of the wooden dummies how you go from one to the other i when i was 16 this is so embarrassing um I bought that wooden dummy book. And this was before I even started learning Leung Teng Wing Chun. I was doing the non-classical Wing Chun in Seattle from the from the line of James DeMille and Ed Hart. So I was all like, uh, I was doing a Wing Chun that had no forms, right? But I wanted to learn the forms. So I bought that Leung Teng Yip Chun book with the wooden dummy form in it. And I had a wooden dummy at home, a real cheap wooden dummy. And I taught myself the form out of the book. <laughs> and there you go. I, I had my dad had like a video a video camera and I I placed the video camera on a tripod and filmed myself doing the so-called 116 dummy technique straight out of the book having never received any instruction on it at all and I also taught myself the chum cue and the siunam tao from Leung Teng's books right and it's hysterical because it's like I was a black belt in Taekwondo, so I only knew about that. I didn't know much about Wing Chun besides the non-classical stuff. And it's like if you, you know, the old claymation animations we used to watch as a kid, where they're like very, sure. where they're like very choppy, <laughs> you know, like right, the mouths right, right, yeah. are either open or closed. Almost looks like a South, like South Park, but in you know with clay. And it's like if you would see like me jumping from one move to the next because I literally didn't know how you went there. The wooden dummy form is like watching a flip book animation because I'm like dunk, 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 dunk going from like one move to the other with absolutely no movement, no rotation, no transition. And I realized that that's also, you know, obviously that's what happened to me. But I mean, you know, imagine all these other people who try to t teach themselves and stuff out of books. The spaces in between is literally the difference between someone who knows the dummy and someone who doesn't. Anyone can see the end position. So even on a base technical perspective, it's still about that space in between, you know?
yeah, you know, it just uh, remind me. Oh, I, before I knew the Zhang form, I used to, as a young man, use um, Chumqiu form and try and make it all fit on the Zhang. Oh, really? Yeah, all the time. I would take like the 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 the, the chum, I would take Chumqiu and I would like say shift and come back and and just like move my arms into the Zhang arms. And try and do everything onto the Zhang arms as if it was a a Zhang form. Right. And then I would and I would like I would go through uh, first form and I go through second form on the Zhang. Like that was uh, I don't I don't know why I did that, but that was it was me trying to do the to do the Zhang. That's so like, when I would, uh, yeah. I don't know. I just popped when you said it. I had forgotten all about that. And then when you when you mentioned it, I was like, oh shit! Remember when you used to do that? I said I remember the, specifically with Chunkyu. I remember just trying to do like you know, um, like Jiao Sao Jeep Sao. Yeah. It just doing that on the on the, trying to do that on the dummy arms and everything, you know. Yeah, oh, God. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you know the uh, the evolution, like you know, because I mean sometimes on this podcast, you know, we'll we'll kind of call out what is kind of silly in what some other Wing Chun people, or you'll call out what's silly in some other Jeet Kune Do people. And I can imagine that for a certain amount of our listeners that might come off a little like presumptuous on our part. But I think the reason why we sometimes call out a lot of these things is because at one point we also did those things. And at one point oh, that was, fuck yeah. at, at one point that was also like how we kind of looked at stuff. And I think the frustration is, and this is not to say that, you know, either you or I are at some kind of level of attainment that's beyond criticism or beyond a reproach. Oh, I mean, fuck I that, say, I am. I would, <laughs> I would say quite the opposite for me. Um, but it, it's just that sometimes you will see certain patterns in other people which kind of, you know, I guess the reason why we can sometimes get a little salty about those things is because we see our we see an older version of ourselves in there and we saw how having that attitude or having that idea about something was something that was causing us to basically hit a plateau and not go beyond a certain level. And the moment we shit cans, you know, this idea, maybe certain ideas about how important tradition is or certain ideas about how important it is to do things exactly like your teacher. When we got rid of those ideas, we were finally able to break through. And when we see other people kind of spinning their wheels, having these lineage arguments and having these kind of technical arguments where it's like dude you guys need to shut up and start practicing that's not because we're coming from our high perch and just dismissing everybody it's because dude we've been there and we know you're wasting your time because we wasted our time there in that in that point of our evolution and if you could just go beyond it you'd be better served for it and kind of makes me wonder what plateaus am i hitting right now because I, ha- I still have some breaks on in my mind about certain things that are like, you know, shackled from previous ideas. Like, you know, what would the ten-, 10 years from now, that version of me, what would he tell me now that I can like, dude, you got to get this thing out of your head so you can go to right. the next level, right? Because it's not that we are not also experiencing these kind of things that are causing us to plateau. It's just we're not aware of those things, but we might be aware of the more common things that we went through already, you know? Well, you know, it's... One of the things I was thinking about recently was I wonder the benefits and pitfalls 
of the YouTube generation. Yes. How would how would that have affected my growth in the martial arts? Like in a way, there's so many benefits sure. to the you you know to having YouTube available to you. And yet there's such a a probability of learning stuff wrong on YouTube. That, sure. You know, so it, it, there's this, a real good tight walk act, act in learning correct movement through a video. Right. You know, there's, and I, and I wonder if I had had YouTube available to me at a young age, would I have given up on martial arts? Would it have just been an overload? Mm-hmm. Would I have been just so bad because I would have learned six different lineages, ways of doing things, and right, it, you know the confusion and oh, who the, the hell knows what's right? The comments, <laughs> yeah. right? The 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 weasels that you know troll YouTube. Like, how much would that have benefited and or hurt me sure. as a martial artist? You know, sure. now I've learned some really important things from YouTube. Everything from how do I stop a leaky leaky faucet. <laughs> I learned how to fix, you know, but I don't call myself a plumber. Yes. I, I learned how to fix a problem on YouTube. Right, 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 but, right. I'm, but I'm not a plumber. Yes. You know, and there's so many guys who learn something on YouTube, but then will call themselves a Wing Chun teacher. Yes, you know? yes, yes, yes. Um, and, I, and I wonder, like, how many people, especially with Jeet Kune Do, was like, in, in in, in Wing Chun, they have to at least know the forms, right. you know. Um, and it's tough to it's tough to fake the forms because anybody who's not, even if you're not a Wing Chun practitioner, you can recognize skill as an adult. Right. So when if I see someone doing, for instance, I see someone doing some Bagua form. Yeah. I know diddly dick about Bagua. Right. But I can recognize skill and talent and proper execution and balance and structure. So I see someone doing the form a form and they tell me it's Bagua and I say, Wow, you know, that's they did that well. Yes. That looked really good. And then I see someone get up and do a bad version of a Macarena and they tell me, Oh, that's Bagua and I'll say <laughs> I think they're full of shit. <laughs> I think they're full of shit. I right. think that's something they kind of learned on YouTube and kind of fucked up. Sure. And and I and in in so when it comes to Wing Chun, even though people may learn a whole bunch of Wing Chun drills and learn the forms online, it's still tough to put yourself out there as a as a as a Wing Chun sifu because once you see them do something, any reasonable adult would look at them and say, "Well, they have no skill." Right. They look like they have no skill. But when it comes to Jeet Kune Do, with its perception of, oh, anything could be your Jeet Kune Do. And there's some guy doing some variation of piss poor uh, Muay Thai and, and Taekwondo and boxing. and He can almost convince people because he doesn't have to have a form right you know he doesn't have to have something you know people people think 
to be formless is to be without form. Right. Like, you know, so what I mean is like, you know, Jeet Kune Do could be formless in that there's no forms to the system, but it still requires a skill. So you have to have some with some form within movement. But when it comes to JKD, there's just such this reliance on this perception of, well, anything can be Jeet Kune Do. Right. Because that's that particular person's Jeet Kune Do. Yes. And the YouTube era of JKD has been, in my opinion, tremendously hurt. Yes. By YouTube. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, Wing, Wing Chun I, I don't as know. Well. Wing Chun as well. I would totally agree. You know, and like, like I always say, like you know, there's no. I jokingly would say there's no secrets left in Wing Chun, right. because all of the forms are on on YouTube. Right. If the, <laughs> I feel the right, secret so, is more safe now than it ever was. <laughs> exactly right. You know, if you want to hide something that no one will ever find, put it on your kitchen table. Yeah, it, you it, know, it, it's <laughs> interesting. Like what you said, like. Um, you know, like people saying like, oh, well, basically they can do anything and it's Jeet Kune Do because, you know, it's about being formless or whatever. But it's like they're manipulating certain tenets or certain things that Bruce Lee may have written to justify what they do and also to put them in a position where they're beyond criticism. So you'll often find how people interpret concepts of a style is often very self-serving so that you cannot criticize them, let's say, from a technical perspective. Because they could say, well, Jeet Kune Do has no techniques, right? But Wing Chun people do it too. You say like, hey, you know, like it, I, I wouldn't necessarily turn that way because you might be exposed here. But no, you don't. I'm just following concepts of Wing Chun. You're in the technical realm. And so what you realize uh. is, yeah, I mean, Wing Chun is also a principle-based system with supporting concepts. But you cannot use that as a crutch to say like, well, I mean, either your defense is going to stop my jab to your face or it's not, you know, right, like, exactly like right. so you That's can't true. like I can't punch you in the face and then you start to wax philosophical about concepts. Right. And like you think you like you said, you think that, you know, the Jeet Kune Do era or the YouTube era of Jeet Kune Do has not been particularly great. I don't think any martial art has really been served by this. Now, when I say that, of course. We sound like a bunch of old farts when we complain about the YouTube generation, right? And I understand how that comes off to, like, if we have some young millennials or younger listening to us. Like, we're just a bunch of, you know, out-of-date old farts because they don't even know what it's like not to have that resource. Not to be able to, like, like you said about the plumbing, like, if I... If, you know, if my wife wants to look up a, a product or something like that or a review, she goes to YouTube and there's people who review it. And, you know, when I, I want to learn about strength training, so there's tons of YouTubers that I follow. It's like all this information is at your fingertips. But I think it's old bastards like us who appreciate it a lot more because we know how difficult it was to get information like that in the past. When I was a teenager, if I wanted to learn about the Moyat Wing Chun system, I had to like find an ad in Inside Kung Fu where some dude sold some of those Moyat books and like write them and send a check that I had to write by hand to get a book which I waited for in eager anticipation. And when that thing came in, I read it cover to cover because I had to wait for it. I was it there was there was no instant gratification and because you had to fight a little bit for it. You had to order it. 
through mail, send a check, wait for that thing to come in, that you had delayed gratification, no instant gratification. And it made you appreciate these things. I wanted to learn more about other Wing Chun systems. So I had to order that Augustine Fong eight video series from Panther Products like that came out <laughs> in the 80s, right? Where he has like one video for every aspect of the system, right? And I sat and I watched every single one of those videotapes, took notes on all of the exercises that um, Augustine Fong taught. And like, and, and, you know, that's how I learned about his system because I watched that stuff in detail. Now I'm pretty sure that those videos, someone just uploaded it onto YouTube. And I guarantee you that the average view on one of those 50 minute videos is like four minutes before someone clicks on the next thing. And because, because there is no uh, buildup, there's no anticipation, there's no research as to why you're gonna look at this guy's book or this guy's video, it's also just as easily dismissed. So I feel that the current generation also doesn't have the attention span to sit and watch something and learn from something because they don't know what it's like to be like, this Moyat book that I ordered, like I'm talking about myself as a teenager or like, Literally, I had to write to Jesse Glover and send him checks to get these books where he talked about what he learned from Bruce Lee in the late 50s and early 60s. And I would wait for like six weeks for this thing to come in. And it was like self best spiral bound. He typed it out on a typewriter. It was not if you tried to sell a book like that nowadays, people would be like, what is this shit production? Right. But when you read the book, the information in there is literally priceless. And I would read that stuff and make notes and write it down. And I don't see a similar thing from the current generation because of the instant gratification. For me now, and I'm sure for you, you want to see the wooden dummy form of some other Sifu that you couldn't see when you were a teenager. Because now you're interested in, you have the access to it, and you're going to watch it, and you're going to pay attention. But the new generation, they're kind of like trying to, to create their Wing Chun by pasting stuff together that doesn't really belong because they don't have the stick to to allow themselves to be bored and read and make notes and try to practice that thing that they just read about and put on gloves and spar and try it out and not just go and listen to a YouTuber tell you why this thing doesn't work and this thing sucks and then you go, well, that guy's got a million views, he must be right. You put the gloves on and you let your partner try to punch you in the face and you try to punch him in the face and you figure that out yourself and that is much more relevant than what some YouTuber says just because they have a million views. They can literally tell you whatever you want and I don't feel that the new generation has been taught how to look at information critically so they don't have an open mind. They have an unrooted mind when they're watching this stuff and switching and then watching the next one and then the next one and then the next one. And they ultimately don't accumulate anything, in my opinion. And quite an opinion that was, young man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's, it's just true. And, you know... Um, I mean, do you think your Jeet Kune Do knowledge would be as in-depth... If because I for sure when you were younger, you know, before the Internet and all that kind of stuff, you had to read books, you had to practice, right. you had to learn from stuff to get 
those scraps of Jeet Kune Do information you can get. Now, can you imagine if all of that stuff was just easy access to you when you were a teenager via a, a medium like YouTube? Do you think you would have paid as much attention if you suddenly had access to all of it? Right. Well, no, I totally agree with you. And I, I was thinking of the writing of emails that I did with Steve Golden in the beginning. I had an unfair advantage on the, ge the generation before me. But I still had to, like, it was an email, and there was no videos or anything to that effect. And, right. like, he would try and explain things in email, and I would try and write back and, and put into words. When you have to put something into words, and it kind of shows immediately whether you have an understanding of something or not. Yes. And that, I, I, this, this idea of writing a letter, a long email is gone now it's 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 120 character text and there's there just seems to be a i lost a skill in communication these days right you know people want like you said instant gratification if if you know it's can i learn it through instagram if i can't learn it through instagram i have no need you know <laughs> Give it and, to and me i now. and i and I hate to I hate to bring it back to music for a second, but I, I will. In that, when you look at like I look at guitar, there's guys I know that are doing Jeet Kune Do, teaching Jeet Kune Do, and Wing Chun, that have absolutely no business whatsoever doing that. Right. They suck. Right. They you absolutely suck. <laughs> and 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 Alex and I know them. You know, we know these guys. Some of these guys. They suck. Then they learn from people who suck. And the, the best way I can equate it to is if I had now said to you, oh, listen, I'm putting up a website or a YouTube channel on teaching guitar. I could probably fake my way through some of the most minor of basics. But other than that, it would be some really bad shit. It's right. tough. It's tough to... It's, it's really tough to fake a talent that my mother can tell whether you're good or not. My right. mom can listen to guitar and say, that sounds good or that sounds pretty bad. Yes. You know? And with martial arts, it seems to be well hidden. People can hide their lack of skill, I think, in quick video. I mean, when it's really bad, it's really bad. I mean, there's no getting around. Right. When it's really, but there's that, there's that intermediate level, where they're not quite ready to be a teacher, but they don't suck so bad that the videos are hideous. Right. That that now there's and they seem to be putting out a lot of videos, and they're hurting other people. You know, we've all seen the video of the guy who you know his he's so bad, but he's such a great instructor, but he only has his 16 year old girlfriend to demonstrate with. You know, <laughs> like. You know, well, there's that guy, you know, there's those guys there that, you know, no one's ever going to listen to. But there's that group of, like, guys out there that are just like that intermediate level. And they put these videos out that they're just not ready for. And you know how I know that so well? I was that guy. Right. I put out videos. Now, they were VHS tapes. I wasn't ready to do it. 
I didn't recognize it. I recognize it now because I see the, va- the tapes and I pretty much fucking cringe. But I was the guy. And I know my confidence level was so high back then that if I had the medium of YouTube, I know I would have been posting videos. Right. Like, you know, and I know, like, I wasn't ready. Now, I, I don't... I want to ask you something. Again, folks, we didn't plan any of this. Not at all. <laughs> None of this. And, and, and it's been years since I've even looked at them, so I have no idea. Remember you, you used to have those videos out? Um, those how, short videos. The Howcast ones. Right, the Howcast. Yeah. Now, do you do things the same way you did them back then? No, not at well, all. Like, uh, I'm saying, so I haven't even watched you look, those things since they came out. I'm sure. Listen, I remember watching them and being impressed by them. So right. I'm not knocking them at all. Right. But I'm saying now with the volume of knowledge you know now, I wonder if you went back and watched them, would you say to yourself, "Oh, I wish I wouldn't have. I wish I wouldn't had not have done this one." Yeah, I, you know, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, I would look back at that, and I have no control over that because that was another company that filmed it. If it were up to me, I would just take those things down. I'm like, oh god, <laughs> this is an old version of me, right? But actually, the truth is, it it was a very positive thing for me because that gave me a lot of exposure because some of oh, those sure. videos have like a million views on them, like the, right, the, yeah, those yeah. videos, like will have so many views and they're actually doing way better than my own channel, right? So so a lot of people came to me because of that. So it was huge exposure. And when I shot it, I had just recently left Learn Ting's organization. So I was, I I knew that they were going to watch me with like a microscope. So I was very cautious about not explaining too much because I didn't want to give too much away. And uh, so I gave what I call that was like, I have four games in terms of my knowledge and skill. And so I had my A game, my B game, my C game and my D right, game. Yeah, sure, sure. And the Howcast series was my C game. So very, well, maybe C and somewhere between C and D. But it's enough for people who don't know anything or just beginners right. at WT to come in. But yeah, for sure, I've evolved a lot since then. And the interesting thing is I'll have students of mine who will join my school and will take private lessons with me. And they'll be like, oh, uh, you know, Sivu, I I went to your Howcast series and I saw how you did Pacta and like they do it a certain way. And I haven't watched that stuff since then. And I'll be like, no, 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 you should actually do it like this. And they'll be like, yeah, but in your video, I go, yeah, but in my, uh, that video was made for people who are not my students. That video was made for other people to watch. That video wasn't made for you guys. And he's like, I go, yeah, I mean, look, I, people wanted to see what it was about and they wanted to see what I knew. So that's all those videos were supposed to show. That video doesn't, those videos don't show what I actually teach. Um, they give very basic ideas, but that, that like doesn't even scratch the surface. But it's interesting because that's also the YouTube effect. Literally, I'll have a student who's paying to learn from me. Correct you. And, and, and will somehow value what I said nine years ago in a YouTube video over what he's paying me a few hundred dollars for 45 minutes to teach him right now this moment. <laughs> and and right, there you right, go. Right. That is also the problem with this stuff because people don't even want to listen to me face to face if I said something different nine years ago on a video, right? And it's, it's, it's crazy that people can 
can think that way because that that is that shows the power of I saw you on a video screen saying something and that being on the TV being on the video screen has always been so alluring to us as humans that we'll even value what somebody says that you know personally on the screen over what they tell you in their own words in your face right and and I think that is what is so kind of perverted and problematic about these lives we live vicariously through these screens that we're attached to that we're tethered to you know it's just it's 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 really unbelievable man so anyway okay. true story time story time i had a guy come to my basement once and i i had a buddy of mine one of my other students with me and this guy calls me up and he's like oh i want to come take a private lesson this is a long time ago and he came and he was a perfectly nice guy and um he <laughs> about 15 minutes into the lesson he started getting comfortable enough to correct me on my jkd wow right right <laughs> it was awesome so everything i would say he would say well did you mean it like this because i know in such and such a book they say this right and you're saying that so he starts now correcting me. So the guy, I'm, the guy, my student that I was there with, he starts saying, well, why don't you shut up for 45 minutes and listen to what Sean is saying? And then once you leave, you can throw out everything he said, but you're paying a lot of money to be here. Right. Why don't you, you know... And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, of course, of course. And then the next time I said something, he immediately corrected me, corrected me, and so I said to the guy, oh, well, show me how you do that. And he started showing me, and then me and my other students started doing it. And then I asked, well, how about this? What do you do with that? And so I swear to God, he spent about 30 minutes teaching us, right? <laughs> the worst shit in the world. And then when he was done, he paid me. <laughs> That's awesome. Because when he was, when he was done... I said, I right, you owe me, you know, whatever it was, $125 for the hour or something. And he went, oh, um, okay. Like, I, he thought in his head he wasn't going to pay. Right. And I'm like, I don't know. You're paying. Yeah. <laughs> like, you want to spend your, your hour doing that shit, that's fine. You know, I was willing to teach you what I had to teach, but you came down here to teach me. You're still paying for the hour, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this. <laughs> so crazy. So crazy. Yeah. I, I, th th it's such a weird <sighs> thing, like how people, uh, s people who have no right doing it, they want to immediately be your colleague so that they feel that they're then on par with you so that, um, no, you're not really, even though I'm coming to your school, presumably to learn something, but you're not really teaching me because we're kind of colleagues because I'm actually, you, you know, and, and there's that whole thing where it's just kind of like, <laughs> no, but I would never walk into someone's school whom I wanted to learn from and be like, well, you know, I have a big school in New York, so therefore I'm not there to listen to myself talk if I'm going to <laughs> learn from someone, you know? And I think that, yeah, it, it's it's similar, like uh, when people are just a, a little lower on the totem pole that like you talked about when you made those first videos when you didn't have any, you know, what you believe you didn't have any right to. It's like you get a lot of people at that stage who are right. well confident in what they think they know and what they can do. And that's very funny so to see people tempted. in that stage. I am so tempted to tell a story that I shouldn't tell. God well, 
why don't we save it for next time? Because I think we've gone a little bit over today. <laughs> yes, yes, actually, yeah. <laughs> um, so anyway, before we get out of here, I want to uh, thank a uh, number of our uh, podcast supporters, obviously, uh, on Patreon. You guys are uh, really amazing. Love the feedback we get from you guys. Got a couple uh, private messages uh, from uh, Mike L., one of our Patreon supporters. Uh, thanks for all the suggestions. Really love it when you guys interact with us. We got more new Patreon-only supporter stuff uh, coming soon. And uh, again, thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon. If you're interested, you can support us on our Patreon page, Dudes of Kung Fu, D-O-K-F. And, um, you know, for as little as $2 a month and for $5 a month, you get all sorts of little goodies. You get early episodes um, and all sorts of other stuff as well. Uh, also want to let you guys know that uh, every month, at the beginning of every month, like on a Saturday, I do a live theory Q&A. And this is uh, normally I do it now in these kind of quarantine times with my students every Saturday. But once a month, I open it to the public so you guys can actually do it. It's not very expensive. You can go to citywt.com to register for that. You can already register for the next one, which is on um, uh, August 7th, I believe. And um, it's open. It's about an hour, hour and a half, depending on the questions. And I talk about a theoretical topic for about 20 minutes. And then the rest of the time is Q&A. You guys can ask me anything you want about Wing Chun theory, about... Uh, training, fist fighting. The last one, there were uh, questions about Buji, questions about footwork, how to train on the wall bag, um, questions about concepts and, you know, elbow positions. So a huge wide swath of topics and uh, would invite you guys, if you guys are interested in that, uh, to do that, you can go to citywt.com to register for those. And if you missed the last one, that will be available on our pro shop uh, soon as well. You can actually purchase the 90 minute video of the last session and um, and I think you guys will get great benefit from that. But we'd, I'd love for you guys to join me live because then you can ask me questions rather than just listening to the recording afterwards. So anyway, appreciate that and I would love it if you guys could support me on uh, YouTube, uh, Kung Fu Genius. Uh, give me a subscribe, give me a like and of course don't forget to follow Big Sean on Twitter and follow Dudes yeah. of Kung Fu on Twitter, follow Dudes of Kung Fu on Instagram. You can follow uh, at the Kung Fu Genius on Twitter and at the Kung Fu Genius on Instagram. We'd appreciate all those follows, uh, repost our stuff, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Dudes of Kung Fu. Thanks again, guys. We'll see you guys next time. Be good, folks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our latest episode. Please help us get the word out there by sharing this and other episodes on your favorite social media platforms. If you're enjoying the Dudes of Kung Fu podcast, there are many ways in which you can support it. Go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out how you can help your favorite Kung Fu podcast. We are currently using Patreon to automate great benefits to those who support the podcast. As a supporter of the Dudes, you'll get early access to episodes, as well as a number of other benefits based on your donation level. This includes in-depth topic lectures and even monthly live video conferences with the Dudes. Again, go to dudesofkungfu.com support to find out more about that. As always, you can help support us in small ways as well. Give us a like at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page and share links to episodes. If Twitter is your preferred social media outlet, you can follow the Dudes of Kung Fu there as well. Both Big Sean Madigan and yours truly are on Twitter too. Dudes of Kung Fu is now also on Instagram, so tag it along with the hashtag Dudes of Kung Fu whenever you post something related to the podcast. A great way to support the dudes is to rate and review it on either the iTunes or Android app stores. The written reviews are immensely more helpful than just giving us a five-star rating. If you have any suggestions for topics or guests, please write us at the Dudes of Kung Fu Facebook page. Please understand that neither Sean nor I can guarantee a response, but we will consider any serious suggestions. And finally, I ask that you help spread an open dialogue with other practitioners of martial arts. 
Chinese Kung Fu in particular has long since suffered from caustic political discourse, which can only change with you. Remember, the person you wholeheartedly disagree with doesn't love martial arts any less than you do. Take care, and thank you for supporting the Dudes of Kung Fu!